0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to What's the Problem, the podcast where we dive deep into the most pressing issues facing cyber and data security leaders today. In each episode, we're joined by expert guests who share their insights and their experiences on the challenges that they face or see in the world of cyber or data security. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or a new leader in the field, this podcast provides valuable info and some strategies to take your organization to the next level. So join us as we explore the ever-evolving landscape of cybersecurity and discover new ways to tackle the problems that we face. This is What's the Problem? I am your host, Mike Krass. Let's get started. Today, we are joined by Derek Weeks. Derek, say hello to our listeners.
1: Hi, everyone. And Mike, thank you for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. Glad to have you, Derek. Can you tell our listeners, why are you qualified to talk about security?
1: Uh, one, just specific on application security. I've worked in software businesses for the last 30 years. And in the last nine, I've specifically worked with software that helped software developers, helped application security professionals, and also worked a lot within the open source software development community. Uh, In those years, I originated and championed a industry report called the State of the Software Supply Chain Report. I did that when I was at Sonotype and I was the lead researcher and author of the State of the Software Supply Chain Report for six years there. Uh, During that time, I also championed a DevSecOps community survey that generally had between three and 6,000 people a year participate in that uh, and gave evidence of kind of what the trends Were that were developing in the developer and security communities and where they intersected. Uh, I also spent a lot of time in the developer and DevOps community when I co-founded the largest DevOps community conference in the world known as All Day DevOps. Uh, That's something that I co-founded with a friend back in 2016, and that conference has been operating ever since.
0: Well, Derek, I think that you kind of previewed what we are going to talk about today. We are going to talk about um, supply chain securities and we're also going to talk about this handshake between AppSec and developers and how they work together. You know, what is what does a euphoric OASIS relationship look like? What are some of the barriers to that uh, relationship forming that some of our listeners could probably see themselves in and, and hear and, and kind of feel that yeah, like we, I'm experiencing this this barrier as well. So before we get too far, I just want to do definitions here. Um, so we're talking about supply chain security first of all, application security, and and the developer's component. Can you just define those three very quickly for us? Because we're going to use those words a lot throughout this episode.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think developers. I, I use developers as a as a broad term. Obviously, they're developers, people that are hands on coding, uh, hands on keyboard uh, coding. Uh, but they're all. It's really anyone that is creating and producing and deploying uh, applications in environments today. So think of it from uh, ideation up through production. Uh, These are the people that are developing and moving software uh, out to market, out, make available to the users there. Uh, Application security uh, is a team of people, usually within a larger cybersecurity practice, but focused on looking at understanding how is the application being built today? What is the application composed of? Is the application composed of secure components, are there any vulnerabilities in that code that we can assess as it's being built uh, and also being responsible for the code out in production, understanding are there any vulnerabilities uh, in this code that we need to be aware of and then collaborating with other folks internally to either uh, work on uh, improving or correcting those vulnerabilities or putting together other barriers to uh to entry or, or uh, barriers to exploit for those vulnerabilities in the code but is basically an organization that can help look for and understand vulnerabilities uh in that code uh, sometimes in a reactive sense uh sometimes uh, in a proactive sense like red team uh red teaming where they're looking at applications and environments and you know proactively trying to uh uh, look for vulnerabilities or inroads into applications and their data. In terms of software supply chains, it really takes on a view of how software is actually produced today from where the code originates, either code that's written yourself or code that you're bringing into the organization from uh, from outside and, and often in open source communities that have developed code that you're borrowing Uh, in order to be more efficient, and then how that flows through your environment out into production. And it's basically everything from um, the code that gets developed, the code that gets borrowed, and the infrastructure uh, that is used to uh, produce that code and get it to market.
0: So you mentioned developers broadly. Any specific titles that we we might see even though it's a broad definition, like are there certain titles in this in this handshake with the software supply chain that are involved there?
1: Yeah, I think that the titles evolve over time. So right. obviously, you know, software developer, senior senior software developer, um, but you know, anything up to the CIO within a an organization, um, DevOps engineers platform engineering is you know, one of the newer terms uh, being bantered, uh, bantered about in the, the organization. But it, you know I, I think the title doesn't matter as much as you know as a professional that you are working to get code and application out to the customers and users that you have within your environments. And if you're hands on keyboard touching that code or touching the environments in which the code lives, that puts you in the development camp for me.
0: Mm. Let's talk about the barriers in the software supply chain to the, to a, a high functioning relationship. Um, I I feel like uh, this is now a a advertisement for like a Wiley book, like, you know, seven elements of a high performing (laughs) team, um, which are books I have read. So not, not coming down on you, Wiley publishing, just saying like, y'all publish a lot of those kind of books. Um, let's talk about the barriers you know what are barriers to a high functioning handshake in the software supply chain what gets in the way
1: i think you know one of the key things and i've said this for many years is it comes down to awareness of how applications are built and developed today and how much Developers, I know, recognize how the applications are being built, but the organization recognizing that uh, applications are not built like they they were when I started my career, where literally every application and all the code that you wrote within an application was done within the the organization. Your developers wrote 100% of the code that went into the, the application, and today... That environment or that how applications are built has changed significantly where today maybe 90% of the code in an application, your organization did not write itself. You borrowed that code from someone else that developed it. So you found the code on uh, on GitHub, on Stack Overflow. Uh, maybe today you use generative AI to build code, uh, again, that you didn't write uh, yourself, or you source it from one of the large open source repositories uh, out there, uh, like a Maven Central or uh, you know RubyGems repository or PyPy repository, um, and you bring that into your organization. So 90% of an application today is code that you didn't write yourself, And if we look at just some of the evidence of this, you know, in in public repos like Maven Central that runs uh, or uh, houses all the Java open source components, there were 675 billion download requests from that repository in 2022 by software developers. The only one, only people downloading those components are software developers. And if you imagine there are 50 million software developers in the world uh, Mm -hmm. of which maybe 10 or 15 million are Java developers and they are downloading 600 billion components. There's a huge amount of downloading code that I didn't want to write myself. I'm relying on others that have expertise in that code and, and downloading it and bringing that into my organization. Now, that's making software developers very efficient in what they're doing. But if we look and turn to the security side of this equation and kind of the handshake, if you will, between these or the partnership between these organizations, imagine that 10 to 15% of those open source component downloads had a known vulnerability in them. They were known vulnerable the day they were downloaded. So you're effectively using parts or borrowing parts, and some of those parts are good, and some of them are bad, uh, and bad from a, a vulnerability perspective. Uh, they could also be bad from being very outdated, You know, working on a version that's three years old that has 50 better or newer versions available, uh, but let's assume it has a vulnerability. Now you're bringing that known defective part into your manufacturing of software, and as a developer, you're thinking, "Yay, I'm more, uh, I'm more productive." As a right. security professional, you're looking at, you just brought a known defective part into our manufacturing process of software, and we should be aware of that. And as an organization. I don't wanna stop developers from being more productive, um, but I don't want to say, let's focus hundred percent on productivity without worrying about the quality of what we're building. So as an application security professional, a simple question could be, do you know that what you are downloading and borrowing in terms of code that we didn't write ourselves is good or bad? If it's bad, is there an actual known safer, better version of that that we could use so that we're not producing applications that have known vulnerabilities in them today? And, and really, these are what I would call avoidable vulnerabilities.
0: How does that conversation take place? I mean, I'm I'm picturing a dark room, an FBI-style spotlight, you know, some stale coffee smells. Um, I can't imagine any of that is real though. Um, so I'm asking you for, for somebody who's been involved in these conversations, like how does how does that go with the developer? Like how, how do you productively have that conversation? First,
1: I, I think you have to, you know, again, I'll go back to awareness. <clears throat> the developers know that they're doing this. Does the application security team or does the CIO and the IT organization or the business leaders of that organization do they recognize that applications are being developed in this manner? And right. you know a lo- there's a lot of evidence over the years that has pointed to and and I mentioned the the DevSecOps community surveys that I did which pointed to this and and when I was at the Linux Foundation as the chief marketing officer there um, I also saw in Linux Foundation research 35% of organizations build a software bill of materials. And a, what a software bill of materials says is in your application, what components is that application built from? There's code you wrote yourself and code you borrowed. Just to keep it simple, it will tell you, you know, more information. But if only 35% are producing a software bill of materials to tell them what components they're building with, that means 65% of organizations aren't paying attention to what they're building with. Right. And you can't
0: optimize what you don't measure. So 65% right. don't even know. It's like, well, who knows?
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so if you go back to the question that application security professionals want to the basic question you want to answer first is what components did we use and were they good or bad? If you don't produce a software bill of materials, the, the what did we produce, or what did we use to produce this application? You don't even have the list. So you can't get to the second question, which is, do we eva- can we evaluate good or bad from that? Right? And that's, that is something that building awareness of applications are built differently. Everyone out there, every single software development organization, everyone listening to this their organization has a software supply chain, whether they know it or not. So recognizing that you have one is the first set. So you need to go and explore how are we actually building and then be able to bring in practices and processes and even technology and automation to give you some visibility into what it is. And you you mentioned, when you were talking about there's this dark room and people are trying to evaluate (laughs) what did they build with it and so forth. The the concept of being able to look at an application and study what's in it, what parts did we use, the, the idea that you could do that manually was valid a decade ago. But ever since then, there has been so much consumption of borrowed code, it's literally impossible to do from a manual perspective. You have to apply automation to look at the code, understand the parts and evaluate those parts. Because again, go back to the numbers. Your developer, you know, developers worldwide downloaded hundreds of billions of parts, right? As an enterprise organization, If you're a large bank, a large software development house, even a medium-sized organization, let's say top 5,000 companies in the world that are building software, your organization's bringing in 300,000, 600,000, 2 million open source parts a year, Mm -hmm. You you don't have enough people in time to manually evaluate what did we use, are they good or bad, and to take action on that. So you have to look at the, the this production, software production is really high velocity manufacturing. Now, if we have high velocity software manufacturing within a software supply chain, how do we evaluate good or bad in that? And from an application security perspective, you have to look at, we need to bring in new tooling and automation to help us evaluate the state of good or bad within these uh the the organization and our development practices.
0: Mm. Derek, when we were speaking earlier, you mentioned that you are in the process of writing a book. What could our listeners expect to learn from uh, your book when it is published? What are you writing about?
1: Yeah, so uh, this is not a book on cybersecurity or application security, but it's definitely uh, a book about work that I do as a marketing professional and, and chief marketing officer. The working title of the book is called Unfair Mindshare. Uh, It's a CMO's journey into community led marketing in a product led world. But I think that the interesting thing about this is it really talks about how to invigorate and bring a community of people together in in an industry to share information, share insights. You know, educate one another, motivate uh, one another, inform one another, uh, and make one another better at either the thing you're pursuing in your personal life or the thing you're pursuing in your personal, uh, in your professional career. And it's really looking at how do you, as a business, how do you work with the communities that surround your business and serve them well? in a way that makes your industry better, your profession better in that practice. And then through that, there are ways to build brand affinity and actually build your business um, upon those practices. So I explore how businesses can uh, leverage activity within a community, help build those communities, uh, and then help build their business through that work through that associated work in communities. So the, the book is scheduled to be out summer 2023. It's going through editing uh, a, as we speak. And I'm really looking forward to sharing that out with, uh, out with the community of marketing professionals that I also work with.
0: That's awesome. Derek, when it is released, we'll make sure to get a link to that for our listeners in the show notes. And for our listeners, it's, it's that time. That's a wrap. Uh, for this episode of What's the Problem? We hope you found our conversation with Derek to be insightful, to be informative. I certainly have a list of takeaways. Curious to hear about yours. So definitely let us know what takeaways you heard. And remember to tune in next time for more discussions on the latest challenges in the world of cybersecurity. Also, I want to give a quick shout out to our host, MKG Marketing. MKG is focused on helping security companies get found, get leads, and close deals. So if your cybersecurity business is struggling, generate leads, or close deals, let us help you. To learn more, you can visit our website at MKGMarketingIncLikeCharlie.com. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating for the podcast. We prefer five stars, but we also want you to be honest. So let us know how you felt we did today. We appreciate your support. Until next time, my friends.